Another Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting is in the books, and you're in the right place because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Monday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, David. Mm -hmm. I know you want to get it out of the way, so go ahead, make fun of the facial hair. I, I thought it was Martin Van Buren, but you said it's Chester A. Arthur. It is Chester A. Arthur. That is Matt's new facial hair. Fa- I may be generous. Come on, this facial is hair. It's facial straight, something. Straight. Facial scruff. My wife has been waiting for me to shave it off. So this is my this is my big this is my big uh, finale. Like July Fourth. You want to call it that? July Fourth, Chester A. Arthur. Cinco de Mayo is like the Mexican July Fourth, right? Do you know it's like been a hundred years since a president had facial hair? Just thought I should point that out. Yeah, think, really? think about that for a minute. Uh, in more important news, you and I spent the weekend in Omaha mm-hmm. at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. This is a marathon session with Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger sitting up front in front of a crowd of this year, I think it was 38,000 people. I think Sounds about right. 35, 38,000 people answering questions for hours on end. They're, it's really pretty impressive that, that they have that kind of... Uh, mental and really physical staff. Very impressive. Buffett's in his 80s. Munger's 90 now, isn't he? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And shout out to all the WTMIers who were there. Uh, who yes. Came up to us. Thank you and, for the reminder, yeah. And introduced themselves. Love meeting them. It Always is, awesome. It's really, it, it, it's, it's great that there are so many people who are enjoying this show, and it's great to, to put faces with the, the people who are out there listening to the show on mm-hmm. a, a daily basis, and I hope they continue to enjoy it. Indeed. Uh, let's start off. With a with with a good one, I, I like this one because this is uh, this is now my third time at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. It's my second time at the Markel brunch, which is on Sunday. It follows the day after the Berkshire meeting, and when I go to both of these events, I feel like I come away with a refresher, a general refresher course on good solid investing. None of the times that I've been to to either of those events have has my mind been blown like, oh, this is what these guys do. It's just it's it's a lot of it's common sense and and uh, Tom Gaynor the the chief investment officer and uh, was he president CEO CIO CI well yeah CIO president and CIO president over at Markel he actually said that at one point a lot of it is it's common sense it's common sense what they're doing um, and uh, you know I think it's easy to listen to what these guys say and say yeah that's what they say. But they're doing something behind the scenes that they're not saying. Got the complex algorithms, the ninja algorithms. Yeah, the big multi-tab Excel models or the, the, the stealth option plays, that kind of thing. I don't think that's true. I think they're both, they're both extremely smart guys, both Buffett. Well, let, let me say all three. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I could say four because yeah. um, Steve Markell was at the Markell brunch as well. They're all very, very smart. But uh, Buffett and Munger even talked about this during the meeting that people have looked at their model and they've looked at what they do and they've tried to copy it and then they've kind of lost interest because it's really hard. It's really hard. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. And I think that's what it comes down to with good investing is being willing to have that patience, to to not give up on it and to to invest truly for the long term. Willing to be bored, I think, is another way to put it. And When asked that question, why aren't there other Berkshires at your size, at your scale, doing what you do? He says, because it's boring. Mm-hmm. And Munger even said, sometimes you die before you even get there. <laughs> and coming from a 90-year-old guy, I mean, you can put it in perspective there. It takes a really, really long time to build what these companies are building. Berkshire, obviously, to that size. Markel's only, what, a $7, 8000000000 billion company. Mm-hmm. Still very small, and it's taken them 
20 years, or more than 20 years, they said they went public in 1986. So they've been methodically building this company. Yep. And if you look at years by themselves, it's not going to it's not going to blow your socks off. I mean, you're not seeing anything too fancy here. Common sense investing, good insurance underwriting, and you get there over time. But it takes time. It's really boring. You're going to take another 30 years for Markel to, to get to an even bigger, bigger, bigger size. So it's boring, but it's common sense. I mean, we like exciting things. We don't like going to movies that are boring. We like exciting. We like fast. We like now. I prefer, I prefer exciting. I prefer good movies over boring. But when, it comes to, but when it comes to building wealth, then... It, it's boring there, and I think it was was it Gainer who talked about they prefer to build net worth rather than net income. That's mm-hmm. more important to them. That was a big takeaway for me. Uh, since they've gone public, that's been a focus for the company. Let's build net worth over time, not worry about net income from and, a personal and from a business perspective. From an investing perspective, too. That's why when you're when you're looking at when you're evaluating Markel as an investment, you want to focus on the value of the company as opposed to the bottom line results on a quarter to quarter or even a year to year basis. Uh, particularly because insurance is such a big part of the business, and that can be unpredictable for, unpredictable from year to year. So common sense in investing? It's good. Good idea. All right, second, second topic we had here, um, Coke. Start us off here, Coca-Cola. What's going on over there? Coca-Cola. They had a booth at the, <laughs> at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting there. So we think about it as a stock holding, and it is one of Buffett's most successful. Is it the most successful stock holding? Maybe. Mm, Maybe wrong. That's a good question. I, I guess it depends on how you want to define successful in terms of percentage, in terms of total, uh, total value created right. for Berkshire. Multiple things. So they got a, they have a booth there, and Buffett was in the news about Coke abstaining from the excessive, as many people have called it, stock option compensation plan. And well, I think it was one of the first questions that he got I in the Q and A. It was the first the question, number one, yeah. saying, "Why would you act so unBuffett-like?" Unbuffett-like. And I think Buffett. Way, yep. I think they said, "Why would you act such, in such a strange and unBuffett-like manner?" And he said, "Well, a lot of Buffett-like things are strange, so maybe it's not so." It's true. He's Buffett. I, I said this a few times over the weekend. He's he is a weirdo. <laughs> Yeah. Right? I mean, we, we, can, we can say that. It's a compliment. Yeah, it's a compliment. I mean, if, if, everybody, if everybody was as weird as him, well, I guess then it wouldn't be weird. It would just be normal. But the fact that he's weird lets him do things that normal people don't do, lets him think about things the way normal people don't. So, here, so here's what he said to the question, obviously, why didn't, you, why didn't you do more? And you had voiced on this show. I wish he kind of spoke up more. Mm-hmm. And he said, basically, you want to pick your battles with boards that you're on, companies that you, that you work with here. And his son is on the board of Coca-Cola, and he got some questions about that as well. And he basically said... His son voted for the pay package, right? Right. So he's saying sometimes you have to go along with things that maybe aren't the best in your, in your view, but you pick your battles. And if you keep fighting and keep yelling at everyone, no one's going to want to work with you in the future. So that was my biggest takeaway from that discussion. Are you more satisfied with his stance on Coke now? I am, and it was it was listening to, to him talk about it a little bit, and it, it reminded me that, and Carl Icahn, I think, at some point came up in one of the conversations. I don't know if it, if it pertained to Coke in particular, but Buffett is not Icahn. He, he's not like that. I, Icahn goes in there, he shakes things up, he voices things, he writes letters, he gets on CNBC to, to call people out. That's not really Buffett's game, mm-hmm. um, and particularly when it comes to Coke. This is this is a a company and a brand that he admires and that he thinks, uh, as a as a business, can can sustain uh, market beating returns for a long time or, or can produce strong returns for a long time. And so I don't think he's looking to 
just tear apart the company, the management team. And along with that abstention, abstaining from the vote, and he said he privately spoke with Mutar Kent, the CEO mm-hmm. of, of Coke. Um, that's a very strong statement from Buffett. That's not what we're normally hearing from him around the companies that, that he's investing in. So uh, from that respect, he did, he did speak out. Would I have liked to see him do a little bit more? Yeah, sure, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if he was a little stronger on that. But I think he thought that he was being as strong as he needed to be, given who he is and, and the, the, the punch. I think his is. rationale was fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm placated. He, he also walked through a bunch of the math behind his thinking and said that the dilution from this compensation plan will be a lot less, or he believes it'll be a lot less than where it's, than what's been calculated as elsewhere. True. All right. Uh, CEO speculation. This is this is a parlor game that we hear every year at the at least in recent years at the annual meeting. Yep. And there was more of that this year. Who do you think? What, what's if you had to pick somebody after being at the meeting, who do you think is a front runner right now for CEO of Berkshire Hathaway? Now, of course, the investment side of the business, we're, we're going to see that transfer over to uh, Ted Wexler and Todd Combs. Mm-hmm. But for the operating business, for the operating side, what do you think? It seemed like, oh, you're going to put me on the spot like that. It seemed like the speculation, and I'm not going to put a pick out there, but most speculation that was, surrounding... That was, a, that was a drum roll. Surrounding Matt that Rose. That was a drum Matt roll. Rose that from, requires you to throw out a pick. Matt Rose from BNSF. Okay, that's um, pick. He's moved from the CEO role to the chairman role. Is that right? So he's kind of at dealing BN, with, At BNSF, yeah. yeah. At BNSF. And so he's trying to moving his secession plan there. And Buffett skirted around that saying, hey, all of my CEOs, they all have a plan in place. They let me know who they would want to promote if mm-hmm. something was to happen to them that day. Uh, so most of the speculation, I, I think, is, was centered around Rose over the weekend. Also, Greg Abel, he was there in the audience. Buffett actually deferred to him on a number of questions. He stood up, gave some answers there. He's the um, in charge of Berkshire Hathaway Energy, as it's now called. It's formerly so, Mid-American. Formerly Mid-American. So it's those two guys. Ajit Jain, everyone thinks maybe him. I, I don't get that impression. And he said the only way we could replace Ajit is through reincarnation. And he says we don't have to worry about Ajit going anywhere for a while. And I, I think he's too important to a ultra-important part of the business for him to, to move around. So I'm not going with Ajit Jain. Now, given your lack of success predicting any <laughs> so that probably event, any sporting event whatsoever, does that mean that Matt Rose is almost guaranteed to not be the CEO? Yeah, he should just retire now. <laughs> I, still, I still think Ajit's got a, got a, good, Ajit's got a good shot. Um, interestingly, during the Berkshire Hathaway video, they had a cartoon of the team uh, playing hockey. Yeah, the the team playing hockey against a, a Russian team, and the coach of that of the Berkshire Hathaway team was Ajit. Of course, you're going to read into that. Why? But yeah, not? But, yeah, but they also coach. He had some complex math model, actuarial stuff, it's insurance stuff, and I don't, I don't think he's going to move it. And we had an <laughs> we had an article uh, on Fool.com from Jordan Wathy the other day. He says. I'm not sure who's more important to Berkshire, Buffett or Ajit, in their, in their roles yeah. as they are today. So he goes, I don't know if one exists without the other. I think that's true. And I was actually I was talking with some of uh, our Motley Fool members who we met with after the meeting about the, the, the prospect for, for Ajit to step into that role. And I think it would be possible for him to, because at this point in time, I don't think he's in the day-to-day weeds yeah. of the insurance business. And considering that a lot of what is currently on Buffett's plate in his role 
will be off the plate of the new operating CEO. So Ted and Todd will take over the investment side. I think Tracy Britt is going to play an increasingly large role in the mix, in the executive mix, when uh, when, when Buffett's no longer there. Mm-hmm. So I think the role that, that Ajit or whoever takes that CEO role won't, won't con- constitute as much as what Buffett does today. So I think there's potential for, for Ajit to be able to step into that role and continue to have a big, uh, big hand in the insurance business, which, I mean, any, any CEO is going to have to do yeah. because insurance is such a huge part of Berkshire's business. You mentioned Tracy Britt real quick, and I saw one tweet out that someone was predicting that she will be the CEO after the CEO. I did, I did see that. Person. I did see so, that. Maybe. She's young. She's only, what, 30 years old? Yeah. The, does it give you hope that, that, that I may another, another couple of years you could be in the mix for running Berkshire Hathaway? Pretty confident I will be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next topic we have here. Uh, this is, I'm calling this Ben Graham versus Munger and, and Fisher. So I think we've actually talked about this on the show before, that Buffett's investing style has moved away from the, the Ben Graham quantitative, more quantitative focus to more along the lines of um, uh, Fisher. I can only think of Ken right now. What's his father's name? Phil. <laughs> Phil Fisher. Uh, Phil Fisher and Charlie Munger and the way they think about things. So, so I knew that had happened. But Buffett got a question about uh, intrinsic value, calculating intrinsic value during the meeting. And he introed his answer. He, always, he seemed to have a lot of intros and long answers in, in the meeting. This Are you guys year. related? <laughs> long answers? <laughs> Fail. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> he talked about ESOP, and he said ESOP mm-hmm. for, first introduced good. this, and he said uh, ESOP said a, a bird in the hand is worth more than two in the bush, and finance professors haven't really improved on this concept, on that concept, uh, in all those years. So that was sort of his initial take on intrinsic value. Now, I'll read a, a quote. This is as transcribed at, by us during our, our live chat on Saturday. Uh, Buffett said, Fisher would say he'd want to look at the qualitative factors in calculating the value of the birds in the bush. Graham would say he wants to see the $2 in the bush, one looking at qualitative factors and the other looking at quantitative factors. I started out influenced by Graham, so I emphasized quantitative factors. And Charlie came along and, I, and said I should focus on qualitative factors. And he was right. Mm-hmm. So this is the, uh, to me, and, and maybe I haven't, I haven't seen something else where he said this as forcefully, but this was a pretty forceful statement of him saying, I almost completely, it sounds like he completely moved away from that quantitative focus to a qualitative focus of the businesses. And when you think about recent deals like Heinz, for instance, I think that certainly makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, he basically said Graham did not want to talk to management at all. He thought it was a negative to talk mm-hmm. to management because you can be influenced by their char- charisma, I guess. Uh and I, I may be reading it into this too much, but when he talked about Graham, he talked. it sounded very distant. It didn't sound like a, a former friend, teacher. He kind of said, that's the way Graham used to do it. Mm-hmm. He's like, and this is the way Charlie and I do it. And it really does yeah, sound that way. And, and maybe, maybe the way the investing and stock market has changed, you just can't get the same type of returns doing the only quantitative looking at ultra-cheap companies and being successful like Graham was. Maybe there's too much has changed for that to be successful, and Buffett has pivoted away from it. Possible. This, this was particularly notable to me because I, I'm a big fan of Graham. I've got intelligent investor security analysis right there on my desk. I have read, I have read Fisher, but it was years after I read uh, Graham's books that I, that I finally read uh, Fisher's. Um, so 
good idea for our readers, if you are a Buffett fan, if, if you like the way that he invests, to understand that better. I think, uh, you know, push the gram aside a little bit and make sure that you've you well know, read and reviewed the Fisher. To take the counterpoint to that, yeah, go ahead. from Buffett's perspective, with, the, like amount of, with the amount of capital that he has, can he really do cigar butt type investing? Is there in cigar butt type investing to do today? There probably is, yes. There's, but, there's some. But with the amount of capital, could he really move the needle at Berkshire doing that? No, he has to. But I, I'd argue that this, I, I think this transition took place well before today. Okay. Well before he had too much capital to be able to do this. To me, it kind of sounded like this was a transition that happened long ago, not like within the last few years. All right. 3G, speaking of Heinz, Heinz was a, a partner deal between, Warren, uh, between Berkshire Hathaway and 3G Capital, a Brazilian uh, private equity firm that, uh, that actually got a, a lot of attention during the meeting this year. One of the things that Buffett said is that he hopes that and expects that Berkshire will do more deals with 3G in the future. What do you think about that? I think that's awesome. I, I'm wonderful, wonderfully glad to hear that as a shareholder. I think it just opens up a ton of new opportunities for Berkshire. In the past, we used to only think, all right, who could be bought out by Berkshire? Mm-hmm. They have to be at a certain price. They have to be a certain market cap. They have to have good returns already. So that somewhat limits what and Berkshire And they have to have good buy. management already. And good management. So that limit, you can get a, a fairly small group of companies who are potential Berkshire targets, mm-hmm. and everyone tries to speculate who could be bought by Berkshire. But with 3G in the mix, it gives Berkshire and Buffett the opportunity to invest in a company that maybe isn't the best operator now, doesn't have the best management in place, running too, too fat, needs to lean up. They can get 3G in there to clean it up. Mm-hmm. Buffett can remain on the sidelines like he likes to do. He doesn't like to tell people how to manage the business, and they can still get the upside of turning the company around. So to me, I think this is a huge turnaround in terms of the type of deals Berkshire can do. What's, would you think of it as a turnaround? Because if, if we're going to say that this is a turnaround kind of thing, then we probably have to discuss Buffett's past uh, quotes about how turnarounds often don't turn. Yeah. And I'd argue that Heinz wasn't really a turnaround situation. It was just maybe a situation maybe where... I, maybe I chose the wrong can, word. Uh, this is a good pivot for Berkshire, not a turnaround. Um, uh, Mike Olson, but I, I, otherwise I agree with you. Um, I know you like to hear that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Olson wrote about this on Fool.com yesterday. Mike was with us at, uh, in, in Omaha. And he basically said that this opens up a lot more opportunity for Berkshire because they have operators that can step in, and 3G being the operators, that can step in to a company. So you don't have to have that great management already in place because you've got um, this group that can handle that. For those of our listeners and viewers that want to learn more about 3G, Mm -hmm. there is a book that sold out (laughs) at, uh, at uh, at the Berkshire meeting called Dream Big, and that's about... 3G Capital. Yep. Right now, I believe on Amazon, it's only available on Kindle. Um, but I think I heard, I, I ran past the publisher um, on the way out of the meeting, and I think I overheard them saying that, uh, that it will be available in hard copy on uh, Amazon soon. Cool. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway stock portfolio. I was hoping to hear about a little bit about Exxon because just recently, fairly recently, added a very, very large position in Exxon. That's a top 10 position for Berkshire now. Admittedly, I was running in and out of the meeting a lot during the day. I interviewed uh, Andy Kilpatrick, uh, who wrote Of Permanent Value about Warren Buffett, great book on, on Warren Buffett. I also got a chance to talk to Jim Weber, the CEO of Brooks. So I was in and out of the meeting a little bit. Um, 
but I, I don't think he really spent much of any time talking about Exxon. I don't or think he, really any other stocks. Maybe they mentioned it once, but other than that, no, we didn't hear really anything about American Express. Somebody mentioned Wells Fargo. And they said in 2009, right. someone asked the question, if you had one stock to put all your net worth in, what would it be? And he said Wells Fargo in 2009. He declined to give an answer this year. So. Well, actually, what was funny this year is that the, the questioner did not specify the, the isn't Berkshire Hathaway right. part of the question. And so I think Buffett was a little bit taken aback because he was sort of like, well, well of course it would be all my Berkshire, Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, it would be Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, yeah, so he declined to, to bite, on, bite that this year. So um, I don't know if that's changed or... Yeah, but it, it. in terms of the stock portfolio as a whole, I think it just highlights that it's not as important to the business anymore. It's important, certainly, but as a percentage of assets, the stock portfolio is, I think, a third now, mm-hmm. which sounds big, but all day they kept talking about Buffett and Munger that they're focused on buying businesses now and right. buying yeah. Yeah. operating businesses. He described it at one point as what turns them on. He, he right. said everybody tends to think about them as stock investors, but what really turns them on is being able to buy a whole business. And, and there was another question that said, would you consider selling some of your stake in some of your top holdings there in order to fund an acquisition. And they said it's not number one on our priority list that we wouldn't love to do that, but, but they, they would could. be open to it. Uh, so the stock portfolio, important. We, maybe we should start thinking about more as a place to hold capital in mm-hmm. the meantime when they go try to find other deals there. So I think that'll be a trend that will continue. I just It's not the same Berkshire as it was 20 years ago. That's also when you think about the, the, the financial firepower that Berkshire has uh, in its ability to maybe buy some more of those preferred stock deals or, or buy entire companies. It's not just the, the cash, the available cash on the books. You can think about that stock portfolio mm-hmm. as a pretty liquid source of funds for purchasing companies. All right, finishing off here, Sunday was the, the Markel brunch, as I mentioned, and uh, we got to hear Tom Gaynor and, and Steve Markel talk about the business. One of the questions that came up, not surprisingly, was about the integration of Altera. Altera was a uh, reinsure yep. that, that Markel purchased, and there was some let's call it consternation over the deal initially because Markel had purchased uh, another insurer to integrate uh, called Terranova. Mm-hmm. That acquisition didn't go particularly swimmingly. swimmingly. It did not go swimmingly for Markel, so I think there was some concern that Altera would just be a replay, and the price wasn't Terranova. dirt cheap. And I think they even said yesterday that we think we paid we paid a fair price. For Altera. They, they didn't say, we got to get an amazing price, deep discount. So I think there was some skepticism over, did they overpay for this? Uh, one of the comments from, from Tom Gaynor in talking about integrating Terra, uh, not Terra, no, Altera, was uh, he said, in the early years, we went from regional to national. That caused a lot of bumps. Terra Nova was a learning, was learning curve to go from national to international. There were lots of bumps there. Unless we go to intergalactic, we are done with transformative troubles. How long before Markel is doing intergalactic insurance? Let's say 25 years. But if there is anyone... Intergalactic sound You have no intergalactic sounds. (laughs) That's good. It's a failed soundboard. Um, No intergalactic sounds. If anyone, if there was an insurer to insure stuff intergalactically, it's probably going to be Markel. I mean, that, that falls in their sweet spot of stuff that's hard to price, hard to insure. That's what they do. More seriously, in terms of in, uh, continuing the integration or the progress of the integration at Altera, how did you come away from the meeting feeling about that? I feel like you had to be pretty positive about it. <laughs> they said uh, 
it's going well. We're very comfortable with the book of business that we brought on there in terms of the cultures merging. They said combined offices very quickly. The IT transformation uh, was great. Everyone's kind of already one big happy family. So I think it's got to put you at ease. I don't know. I felt at ease. Did you? I felt pretty at ease. I felt, I felt pretty good. I mean, those, those guys are, particularly Tom Gaynor, um, have a really uh, a good way of, of putting you at ease about what they're doing. But I think that ease comes through not some sort of you know, smarmy salesmanship, but rather a, a clarity and understanding of what they're doing and what's going on mm-hmm. that, that gives you the feeling these guys know their business, know what they're doing, and they're, they're trustworthy people running the business. I agree. All right, that's the show for today. That's the show for today. Uh, you can find us, if you're watching on video, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Swell. You can download the podcast and listen to that on your way from work or as you're working out, David. I bet you didn't know that. You can listen as you're do. working out. Some people do. Um, otherwise, you can find us on Twitter. Tweet at us, at TMF Financials. You can also email us your questions, WTMI at fool.com. That's all we've got for today. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.